coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are. You're listening to the VIP Jazz Wall Report. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This show is going to be called House of God or House of Horrors Part 3. Nelson Mandela once said that courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to conquer fear. And our guest is a living example of courage. In the previous two shows, I talked about the scandal that's plaguing Grace Cathedral and its pastor, Ernest Angeli. I had the privilege of speaking with five guests in my previous two shows who had the courage to come on and share the anguish in their lives that was caused by Ernest Angeli and his establishment. And today I go to the source of where this story got out by talking to the man who got in. Our guest is Bob Dyer, who's been with the Akron Beacon Journal since 1984 and served as a feature writer, a radio TV writer, and a general interest columnist. Bob's stories and columns have won 59 regional and national awards. In 2008, the National Society of Professional Journalists voted him best columnist in the nation. He's also been named the best columnist in Ohio by at least one professional journalism organization for seven consecutive years. And to top it off, he was one of the lead writers for A Question of Color, a year-long examination of racial attitudes in Akron that won a Pulitzer Prize in 1994. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you, Vip. Pleased to be here. So you're quite a big deal in journalism, then. <laughs> if I do say so myself. <laughs> Actually, uh, all the resume, that, most of the resume that you read is is not what I was doing in this case. Uh, at this point, I'm a three-day-a-week opinion column columnist, uh, especially specializing in local news. And for this, I put on a completely different hat. This was a straight-ahead news story. I was identified as a staff writer, and uh, so it was a real change of pace. Uh, it took uh, two months to do this, which is a major shift in what I normally do. But you did win all these awards, right? I did, yeah. Well, that, good. At least I wasn't giving the intro to the wrong person and having no, the right no. person on the show. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed your first two shows on this subject. Uh, you did a nice job. Well, sir, you deserve a Medal of Courage for bringing this scandal to light. And you know what? And I'm walking in your shadow because I thought, let you go first, see if you get shot. Uh, if not, then I'll do it. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> now, this isn't your first expose, is it? No, I've done a number of them. I don't do them often. I have to really believe in something before I wade into it, mainly because of the amount of time it takes, and also you're, you end up living this stuff for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't, if I didn't have a real good sense going into it that there was going to be something there, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, last year, I did a, a two-part expose on Infocision, which is a major national telemarketer that's based in our area, and uh, talked to former employees and current employees about such things as their matching grants. They were offering matching matching grants to to, uh, callers that didn't exist. They were failing to pay minimum wage to their employees. They were lying to callers about the percentage of the money they gave that would actually go to the charity or the cause that they were calling about. Um, I also recently did an expose on a company named Keith Heating, which apparently was uh, trying to scare elderly residents into buying new furnaces, they go into their house and take a look at the furnace and say, oh, you've got a big crack in your heat exchanger. You're going to die before the night's up if you don't get a a new furnace right away. The uh, county prosecutor uh, read that and hauled them into court, and the the trial just concluded. Uh, The judge has not issued a ruling yet, but uh, this has been ongoing, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's encouraging to me that to see that some of the things I've waded into have gotten results. So you're like a Robin Hood of sorts. I bet people don't take your calls initially because they thought, oh, 
<laughs> Especially the guilty ones, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but on the other hand, they uh, you can really get some action. I mean, when you have a history of, of getting things done and you call somebody up and they know the story of their ineptitude or bullying is going to be in the paper, they all of a sudden you've got their attention and they tend to uh, help the people out that you're calling about. But when you do expose something and, and, and right is done to the wrong that's been done, uh, it must feel good. It really does. Um, in this case, I think I honestly think that, that the series has, has helped a lot of people do a lot of healing. Um, you talk about courage. These people really went out on a limb. I mean, they, they were willing to put their name and, in many cases, their photo to these allegations and about very, very personal subjects. I mean, a woman told me point blank with her name and picture in the paper, I got an abortion because this preacher told me to. I mean, that's you don't do that kind of thing lightly. I think they, no. it, it was so important to them and it meant so much to them to expose this that they were willing to go out on a limb. Well, you know, I'm glad that the healing has started, but I really, I think it's still out there, the question's still out there if justice is has been served, and I'm not sure it has, but let's get right to it. Um, you pretty much exposed this whole sexual and ritual abuse that's been going on in uh, Grace Cathedral with Ernest Angley. How did it all start? The first I caught wind of this was in mid-July. Uh, somebody called me Which up year? Said, this year? This year. 2014, past, okay. Last July, right. Somebody called him and said, I have a tape of a service that Ernest Angley gave that I think you'd be interested in listening to. And I said, well, give me an overview of it. What is it? And they explained that uh, there had been uh, it all, this service came about because a longtime associate pastor had just resigned and told friends and family the reason he quit is he'd been inappropriately touched by Ernest Angley for seven years and he couldn't take it anymore. There was so much talk about this inside the church that Angley held a special service to address the allegations and stood up there for two and a half hours saying that he was not a homosexual and none of this stuff happened. But he did admit on this tape that, yes, he examined men's genitals before and after vasectomies uh, to check for swelling. When I heard that, I said, this is bizarre. I mean, I always thought the guy was, was pretty strange, but I, I, didn't, I didn't realize how strange it was, I guess. So that uh, after, after I heard that tape, I yeah. began talking to the woman who gave it to me, and she directed me to some other people who had formerly been with the church and were, were saying this, this pastor who resigned was exactly right. That's the kind of stuff that goes on in there. It's never been exposed. We want to expose it. Um, the more people I talked to, the easier it was to find other people, and the easier it was to persuade them to let me use their names. Uh, that was the key to the whole thing. I don't think I would have even written this had I not had most of the people on the record. Because as a reader, when when a son named sources on and on and on, you just wonder how much of you know whether it's fabricated or yeah. There's all this litigation people. and libel yeah. and and things like. That. But why do you think people chose you to expose the story? I think I've I've been around. I've been here for 30 years now, mm. and I, I think I have a reputation around town for telling it like I think it is. Um, I'm not afraid to, to tangle with authority figures. Um, there are many cases where my personal opinion expressed in my column is diametrically opposed to the paper's official editorial stance. So I have a, a good deal of freedom here, and I think uh, readers recognize that and know that I'm not going to be intimidated, and I'm not going to have any problem telling telling the truth. But then did you take it to your bosses before you write a story? Do you say, look, this is what I'm going to be writing about? Oh, something like this. Yeah, absolutely. Were they I concerned? 
they, I think they trust me at this point. I mean, I said, I think there's something big here, and here's what I'm going after. What do you think? And they said, all right, wait into it and see what you find. I mean, they didn't give me a, you know, say, full speed ahead until I did a little bit of investigating. But very quickly, when um, I actually played part of the tape for them, they said, okay, go to it. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, again, as I said before, my normal job is three columns a week, and this is two months without anything in the paper. At one point, I mean, after a while, people started calling up and saying, did you get fired? Did you quit? What's going on? So my absence was noticed. Um, but, it, yeah, the paper really, really went on a limb to give me, A, to give me that much time, and B, to print the kinds of things we printed. What did you do in your investigation? Because now... You, you 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 get you get this tape. You 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 got people calling in. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the first steps? Obviously, what he said was sensational enough. Right, right. Well, the the first thing I really did after that was try and talk to as many folks as I could. I I I did. I, t- I ended up talking to twenty one. But how do you get access people. to twenty one people? It it built over time. I talked to the first one who said, "Hey, uh, so and so might be willing to talk to you," and then I talked to the next person, and right. it, it sort of fed on itself. Um, so basically, it was just talking to people, and I talked to them all independently. It wasn't like some big group session where they all were kind of you know feeding on each other and exaggerating stories. You know how group dynamics can go. Every one of these twenty-one interviews was done individually. Right. And I kept hearing the same things over and over and over again, and I heard the same heartbreak in these people's voices. And uh, I pretty quickly came to realize this is absolutely legitimate. When you're interviewing somebody, you can tell. You just get a gut instinct as to whether they're trying to, you know, pull something off or whether it's really coming from the heart. And everybody I talked to just seemed extremely genuine and, and again, just in many cases heartbroken. So I I just, uh, my basic approach is just, talked to as many people as I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, I taped all the interviews. I transcribed them carefully, uh, which is a real pain in the butt. <laughs> I need an assistant. I'm going to lobby for an assistant who can do that. But, I'll tell the editor. Uh, and, and, and then when I when I thought I was in, I, I had pretty much what I needed, I went through all the stuff to see what I had and came up with a long list of questions to ask to Ernest Ainsley. But how did you verify their stories? I couldn't really. Um, they were, you know, they're all allegations. I wasn't there. I don't know if people were abused. I don't know what happened. Right. Um, I had a real good hint based on the tape of the service that, that it was legit. But basically, I was, one of the things that helped persuade me, honestly, was the fact they're willing to let their names be used. I mean, if, if they're that. Well, you couldn't do the story if, if the names weren't being used. Am no, I right? no. I No, I mean, I, you could have. You could conceivably do it with two or three people being named, but I wouldn't have wanted to do that just because it wouldn't have the credibility. Um, So I took their stories and made a long, obviously one of the basic tenets of journalism is you try and get the other side. So I called up the church and said, uh, I want to talk to you about this tape. I didn't blindside him by any means. Uh, I didn't ambush him. I said, I want to talk to him about this tape and about allegations Mm -hmm. that he covered up sexual abuse that he examines men before and after vasectomies, et cetera. Which month was this now? This was, uh, let's see, this was probably August. I didn't actually get on this right away because I was in the middle of some other stuff. I think in August I first approached them, and and, uh, initially I thought they were going to trot out an associate pastor, which they wanted to do, but when I first talked to the pastor, I said, I think uh, Ernest himself is going to want to deal with this because these are really serious allegations. So we went back and ter- talked to him, 
And much to my surprise, he said, okay, uh, be willing to you know, to be interviewed. Mm. So I went in with my long list of questions and a photographer, which amazed me even more. They had no problem with that. And met with him in his office for about 90 minutes. Uh, now, what's his office problem. like? I mean, when you walk into the to the offices, I mean, is it grand or is it quite simple? The whole place is sort of a shrine to him. I mean, there's giant portraits. Um, it, it's an odd place. Um, the office itself was not all that unusual other than this gigantic artwork of his 747 on the wall, which I think is is extremely interesting in itself. Uh, this man... Probably a phallic symbol as well. <laughs> This guy owns a 747. It, he parks it at Akron Canton Airport, which is a pretty sizable airport. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Air Force One has landed there a number of times, so it's plenty big for this thing, big enough for this thing to land and take off. But owning a 747, I, I got a hold of some of the folks down there and said, how much would it cost a year to maintain a 747? And they crunched some numbers with landing fees and fuel costs and insurance and the crew and all that, and they estimated the amount of travel he does which is about two or three times a year on mission trips. It would cost about $2.1 million just to maintain this thing, much less buy it originally. Which, now, now which, before you go <clears throat> any further, okay. you, why do you think he agreed to being interviewed when you told him what was the subject of discussion? I honestly think he thought he could talk me out of doing it. Uh, um, at, at one point during this interview, he invited me to take a look at his plane. I mean, I, I think he was just trying to, he thought he could charm me into maybe not into doing it. Into turning the story around. Yeah, and the other the other thing that occurred to me was he's savvy enough to know that if you say no comment, people are going to be very suspicious. I mean, the worst thing you can do when the, when the media comes around is to say no comment. I mean, you try and put your best spin on it and see what happens. But uh, honestly, my, my, my overriding thought is that he figured he could, he was so charming and he could just win me over and, and convince me that all these people were fabricating all these things. So you're sitting in the office, there's this big portrait of his plane. Um, right. How does it start? What's his initial emotions like? And then does he greet you warmly? Um, he, it was very cordial. I mean, was, uh, I don't know if it was cordial. It was civil. Uh, there was two. There were two other people there. There were this associate pastor who I'd spoken with initially, mm -hmm. who also had spoken during the service in which they were ripping the pastor who resigned. And there was also an usher there who had spoken at the service. So they were kind of trying to triple team me. And I did have. There were times when I was getting irritated with the associate pastor who would jump in and try and answer the questions for Reverend Angley, um, but. Um, I just figured that was a price of admission, uh, so it wasn't that big a deal. And it, they also said some things that contributed to the to the articles. Uh, but it was, uh, I mean, I didn't I didn't get the sense that he, at least at this point, had any particular personal magnetism that would blow anybody off their feet. Um, it was, you know, I asked the questions and he gave answers. I, I don't think his age is a factor. He's 93, and you wonder if he's slipping a little bit, but. The, the kind of responses he gave now, I think he would have given 30 years ago. I mean, he, he hasn't really changed his, his approach over all these years. How did you start the interview? What did you ask him right off the bat? Uh, I think the first thing I said was, uh, I, actually, I don't remember. It's probably some kind of softball thing just to warm up. Like, like how do, what do you know now that you didn't know 50 years ago when you started this or something? Right. But pretty quickly, I got into the uh, the, the service itself and and. One of my early questions was, 
why you're not a medical doctor. Why on earth are you examining these people before and after vasectomies? Mm. And he said, he repeated what he said on the tape, basically to Chuck for swelling and wanted to tell me at one point this story about this man who allegedly came to him and one of his testicles fell out, Reverend Angley said. And I told him, you have to go, you must go see a doctor. So he told him that story. I said, did he catch it? What do you mean fell out? I mean, wouldn't he be screaming in agony and calling 911? And Reverend Angley said, well, I told him to call the doctor and he ended up going to the doctor. I mean, the the kinds of things that were coming out of his mouth just Mm. confirmed an awful lot of what I've heard. And uh, I was really shocked at times at what he did, did say, (laughs) what did admit he'd done. Wow. I mean, I, to, to me, I mean, I'm not an MD, but, you know, when you hear a story like that, it's you're a little bit skeptical, right? Yeah, I mean, I know gravity takes a toll on everyone, <laughs> but, 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 but things falling to the floor, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, that to me would not be uh, something where you'd make an appointment for next Tuesday. <laughs> no, and I'm surprised it stayed there up where it belonged for so long until it reached Angelie's office. <laughs> You know. <laughs> well, he does have the power of healing, and maybe he just temporarily healed him long enough. To I get want to, to know out. what he did with the one that fell. <laughs> I don't know, maybe cash it in for a better one. <laughs> you know, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> he can heal anything. Just yeah, he heals AIDS. I mean, all he's got to do is whack you in the forehead, and you're you're all better. Then, apart from the. Um, the checking of the genitals. The, the, uh, what else did you then approach him on? Because you had 19 well, minutes. Actually, the most uh, 90 minutes. I was there for an hour and a half. Um, the the most troubling thing to me was the the numerous allegations that people had been sexually abused by either members of the church or officials of the church mm. had gone to Angley and said, "Hey, you know, I'm 15 years old. This guy grabbed me." Um, and story after story, they went in and reported this, and he said, oh, well, we shouldn't spread this around. Um, you know, we'll still say some prayers for the guy, and he'll be okay, and it'll be all, all, all better. Um, I asked him in this interview, why on earth would you tell these people not to tell anybody else? He goes, well, you know, you don't want to spread these things around. I said, well, shouldn't you be warning other people at the very least that these, these predators Isn't are Isn't he obligated by law, though? That's my understanding, yeah. I mean, That's I think what I figured out because I think, you know, uh, one of my previous guests, Pam Cable, she sent me um, Ohio law. Yeah, the problem is the statute of limitations is very short on that. I think it's a couple of years, and most of these are at least a couple of years. Okay. Uh, the abuse itself has a quite a long statute of limitations. It's 20 years in general. If you're abused as a minor, the clock doesn't start running until you're 18. But so. did you tell him that he was obligated by law to report it? I did not at the time. Okay. I, I actually didn't know that. And I initially, uh, a while after the series, I asked the, the pros- local prosecutor mm-hmm. whether that was the case. She had to do some research to confirm that. So it, it's, you know, I, we, you know, you know that school, school officials and uh, like children's services folks and medical doctors are obligated to report the abuse. But I honestly wasn't sure at the time I was interviewing him right. whether he was obligated and he is obligated. Did you ever ask him about the abortions and why he's encouraging that? I did. He uh, he he flatly denied that, in spite of all the people were saying that he advised them strongly to get abortions. Um, he also, why would he admit to examining genitals? And that, and, and, and and 
deny the the whole concept of, of advising abortion? If you can figure out the wiring in this guy's head, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, I'll have to remove. Really... I'd have to remove the toupee first. <laughs> that could take some doing. Yeah, a lot of glue. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, it was weird. Some of the things he freely admitted to, I was mm. surprised, and some of the things he fought, I, I was. Uh, the basic. I, I think the basic thing was that he does not want people to reproduce. And the theory is, and the theory I buy into, is that he, if you have a child, you're going to spend a lot more money on the child than you are and did before when you were at the church. Uh, you're taking time and money away from his church if you have children, basically. Um, so he, unlike every other pastor in the world that I can tell, as far as I can tell, who wants to increase the size of his congregation, he, he apparently would be delighted if it just some day just went away. Well, what about advising on vasectomies? He said, "Well, we don't we don't tell people to do that, but if they come in and ask for advice, we tell them, yes, you shouldn't have children go get a vasectomy." And there there are kids in their late teens who had not even been married that he was encouraging to get vasectomies because he doesn't think people should reproduce. I was stunned by that. I mean, he freely said, "You know, this I don't think you should bring children into this world." Mm. I said, why on earth would you want, not want to bring children in this world? He said, oh, it's too dangerous. And I said, well, even for people of deep faith like yourself? And he said, no, people of faith go down. The world's going to hell. You can't walk down the sidewalk without people molesting children. Interesting choice of words. Um, but you can't enter his office without him being molesting you. I'm sorry? You can't enter his office without him molesting you. Oh, yeah. Forget the sidewalk. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, to me that was ironic given the charges against him. Um, so but then I, in, in, when you were there, I mean, and you're having a discussion and and obviously he's contradicting you or in some cases agree. what's his body language like? You've had so many interviews and from a human being, from a human perspective, what's your gut instinct saying? He... Is he fidgeting? He like he look, no, he looked... I mean, he's been been in the spotlight for so many years right. that I think he has a, a real poke, convincing poker face, and to, to many people, very convincing. To me, uh, one of the things I thought after talking to him was that he reminded me of O.J., who talked, said so, denied the charges so long and so vehemently that I think after a while he actually believed that he didn't kill those people. Uh, to me, it's uh, this guy has been saying this stuff for so long that I think he actually thinks he's one inch away from God himself. Hmm. Was he looking at you straight in the eye? Most of the time, yeah. He, uh, yeah, those are professional liars, you know, when they, when they look at you straight without trying to blink too much or... Yeah, although when you listen to the tape, he... he <laughs> when I'd ask him a point-blank question... In, you know, I went in there with specific examples. One of the folks you've had on before was Shane McCabe. I... I Told, I used Shane's name and I talked about Shane coming in there and mm. telling you about this and why didn't you do anything about it? And he'd say something like, well, that doesn't sound right or, oh, I don't remember that. I mean, he wouldn't flat out in many cases deny it, although he, in general, he had no problem painting them all with a broad brush of saying they're all liars. But when I asked him about specific cases, he would say, well, I just I don't have any memory of that or I don't think that's what happened. He never said, oh, no, Shane McCabe never told me that. To me, that was very telling. Oh, so you wouldn't admit or deny, just sort of, he uses his 93 years of age 
as a means well, of it happened a long time ago or something. Well, yeah, or or to you know, the insinuation I got was, well, had, if that had actually happened, I certainly would have remembered it. That that's more the tone it was. Now that you said the junior pastor or the associate pastor was jumping in. Mm-hmm. At what point was he jumping in? When you, what questions were you asking? Because that's sort of uh, very telling as well. Just about everything. <laughs> I, I said, uh, I guess the most memorable one was uh, when I asked him, why do you encourage... Uh, one, of the, one of the chapters in this was how he breaks up families. The people, if a family member leaves, the people who remain are... are strongly encouraged to just divorce themselves completely. There are mothers and daughters who don't speak because of this guy. Mm-hmm. So when when I said, you know, when somebody leaves the church, why do you shun them and tell people not to talk to these other people? And he said, because I'm, I'm what do you say? Because I'm their little shepherd under the Lord or something, you know, guiding them away from these evil people. And whenever he'd say something weird like that, the other guy would jump in and say, what he means is he didn't want these people spreading, you know, lies around and poisoning the rest of the congregation, letting the demon inside the church. You know, he'd, he'd try and put his best spin on it. Um, so he has a very strong convic- conviction about his uh, divine purpose. I think so. I mean, I, uh, that's, that's kind of the million-dollar question. Does he really believe the things he's saying, or has he been doing this for so long that he's just so slick that he just doesn't believe it and doesn't care? I Was he know. getting irritated by your questions? No, actually. Um, he, no, he didn't show any of that at all. Uh, one of the, I guess the most amusing part of the interview to me was very near the end when I said, as I usually say in any kind of interview situation, well, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to? Mm. And he looked deeply into my eyes and said, Bob, are you saved? <laughs> and I shot, I immediately shot back, well, I guess that depends who you ask, <laughs> which, which cracked him up. So I, I will be when I take this story back. Yeah. <laughs> I think he instantly knew that there's no way he was going to go down that road with me. I wasn't going to put up with that. Uh, I mean, so he, I mean, he, other than that, it was a very professional exchange. Um, but I, I mean, we had not even been able to go in there and take his picture for about 15 years. He's just been inaccessible. So, you know, there's also a little tiny part of me that thought maybe he wanted all this stuff to come out. Um, I don't know. uh, You need a a team of psychologists to figure this guy out, but it's not. Let me tell you this, and let me me give you my guess as to why he wants it to come out. Because if he can override this, Mm -hmm. he's actually going to look greater. Within the church. Within the church. Yeah. And he doesn't much care what goes on in the outside community. I mean, he's, he has no presence whatsoever in terms of uh, civic functions or, you know, nobody sees him out anywhere. Uh, I think the only thing he cares about is within the walls of that church. And, yeah, within, I mean, I, they, they were uh, circling the wagons when this thing was coming. They actually, before we wrote a, printed a word, he was telling them, don't read the Beacon Journal, don't believe anything they say, it's going to all be lies. So they knew before he wrote anything that it would be pretty damaging. And he was, you know, he's if, if if he tells them not to read it, they're not going to read it in many cases. What's the strength of his following? The, they would not give us a number. I asked them point blank more than once how many members you have. They mm. claimed they didn't know. But the, the cathedral seats 3,000. From the people I've talked to, it's about a third full most Sundays. So that's a pretty good turnout, 1,000 people. Uh, it was bigger 
15, 20 years ago, he had, he had more of an influence, at least a wider following then. But internationally, I mean, he, he just got back from a, a two-week trip to the Dominican Republic and either A, made a whole lot of money, or B, saved a whole lot of souls, depending on whether you ask me or him. Or set up offshore <laughs> um, accounts. Well, his his 747 is registered in Aruba, for one thing. Mm. Uh, I said, why did you? Why on earth would you register your plane in Aruba? And his bottom line was because God told me to. You know, I, I approached it a bunch of different ways, and his 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 final answer in every case is, God directed me. He said, you might not believe it, but God tells me what to do, and God told me to do that, and He was right. Uh, well, getting finances to run his establishment. I mean, he's also. I, I hear he's been putting people's homes in in life estates or encouraging them to. He has. You know, we we looked into that, and I, we don't see any evidence in the public records that there's been a lot of that. I know that you've talked to uh, some folks that that happened to, as as I have, and uh, there there's another case uh, that I'm familiar with since the series came out, where um, they turned over the house to him, and he took it and. Uh, did what he wanted, but uh, I don't. At least I don't see any. Um, you know, we have access to all the online court records and uh, the auditors' records, and we don't see tons of places that they own. But I think an awful lot of their money comes from their television station. They own uh, WBNX, uh, a, a, a TV station that they've owned for quite a number of years, right next to this big cathedral. How often does he come on that one? He's uh, he's still nationally syndicated. He has a a weekly show that's because every time I've, I've I've put on YouTube to get a glimpses of it, and you keep getting these three singers on, <laughs> and it's, it's quite funny. You know what? If I'm having a stressful day, I I, I I put that clip on and I said, well, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Your whole life looks better after. Yeah, that, it's right? like an anti Jenny Craig diet <laughs> live. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Actually, I can remember being in college, and we'd be flipping around the stations late at night, and we'd see this guy on, and we'd just sit there and laugh. I mean, he's he's always been struck me as just bizarre, and uh, you know the the faith. I mean, if you stuff. played it at the same time as Saturday Night Live, there'd it's be a, a struggle for ratings. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's a wash. I mean, we'd spend equal time watching both. <laughs> but I mean, there's a big difference between being goofy and 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 weird and being perverted, which uh, to me, there's some evidence that that's the case. I mean, that's, that's to- two totally different things. I mean, you can go, you can have goofy TV shows and, and peddle whatever religion you want to peddle, but when you start abusing other people like he seems to have done, that's when it's not quite as funny. You know, you're going in as two people, one as a professional journalist and second one as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the professional journalist side of things, mm-hmm. but going in as a human being, and, and you know, you're coming in from one side of the story where you hear the grief and the anguish of of, of these victims, mm-hmm. and then you're going into sort of the devil's den. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about how would I feel, and I I probably feel you know sick to the stomach. That would be one. Second would be an element of fear because you're actually coming face to face with what has caused uh, the grief for these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you feeling? That's very similar to what you're guessing. That my When I was talking to the victims, mm-hmm. it was absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, they were telling me stories that you just, I mean, I'd have to fight tears at times. I mean, the woman would say, I really, I really didn't want to get the abortion. They sent me to this abortion clinic. I sat in the waiting room. 
I couldn't do it. I had to leave. I got up and left. And then I went back to the church, and they kept saying, no, you really have to. You don't want to have kids. You really want to get this abortion. So finally she grudgingly went back to a different place and went through with it and almost immediately regretted it and regrets it to this day. It was like 20 years ago. That that kind of story just makes you sick. I mean, I was was almost literally sick to my stomach hearing some of these stories. And people who say, no, none of us have kids because he made us get vasectomies. I mean, that's that's tough to hear on a personal level. Um, I when I was actually doing the interview, I didn't have any fear whatsoever. I was well armed. I thought I, I I believed in these people. I I didn't. I don't think my pulse rate went up one iota while I was there. Mm-hmm. I, I there I did have a little trepidation about what some of his um, followers might do after the fact. I mean, some of these folks are very easily influenced. I don't think he'd stand up there directly and say, go get Dyer, but I think that he would make some implications that some people might run with. So I've been uh, pretty cautious since then. But um, I guess after I left this meeting with him, uh, one of the things I thought is, oh, my God, I can't believe he told me the stuff he told me in some cases. Two is I just want to go take a shower. I just This this is just so wrong what this guy's doing. Um but again, as a professional, you got to look at what he said and look at what they said and give them, if not perfectly equal time, you certainly have to give him a chance to express his side. And I think I did, and I think that readers pretty much came to the conclusion that I came to on their own. I mean, you, 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 said, you put what they're saying out there, you put what he's saying out there, and it's pretty easy for me to choose sides, even though in print I'm not going to come out and, you know, say the guy is, is the devil himself. When you came out of the meeting, what do you think you had achieved? I think I said, wow, I got one hell of a story here, and I think I can make a whole lot of people who've been abused by this guy very happy by, by telling this story. Mm. Uh, these, there was so much pain in these people's voices, and I talked to 21 of them, so you know there are, I don't know, 10 times, 30 times more people than I talked to who'd all suffered some of these same things. So I was I was actually very much looking forward to getting this out in the public eye. After the um, chat with him or the interview, um, over the remaining few weeks and things like that, did you ever fear for your safety? I did, actually. As I mentioned before, there's some, some folks in there who are not necessarily real rational, and they're mm. very, very, very loyal to this guy. I mean, this I think... Uh, in many ways, it's a textbook cult, I think. There were some, two of the former members actually invoked the name Jim Jones, the, the man who convinced all those people in Guyana to commit suicide. So, yeah, I mean, there was some fear uh, in my mind that they were going to try and do something crazy um, to try and block publication or whatever mm-hmm. to intimidate me. I mean, I saw no signs of it. Some of the folks I interviewed said that they thought they were being followed uh, a number of them said they they kept seeing the same car behind them. I was paying attention, and I didn't. Uh, maybe I'm not that observant anymore. But, um, yeah, there was definitely there was an element of uh, real caution there in the days leading up to it and after. Um, and I'm even now I'm not totally comfortable with what some of the people there might do. And then when the story broke out, did you ever get calls from any one of them? From the members of the church, members of the church, members, the yeah. office of of uh, Ernest. No, he every time this was all over the local media, the Cleveland TV stations, and everybody. There was some national attention. Anyone who called for a comment was was 
read a short statement basically saying they're all lying. Uh, that was, you know, they, they wouldn't talk to anybody and defend themselves. They just That's said the they're all lying. End of story. So even the associate pastor didn't call you and said, well, you misinterpreted what he said. No, and no. as a matter of fact, after in the, in the weeks after the interview, as I was writing, uh, mm-hmm. there were some things I wanted to follow up on. I wasn't quite sure what they were trying to say. In many cases, you know, you talk to somebody for an hour and a half and you leave and you realize either I didn't ask the, the one more question I should have asked or they said something that was confusing. Mm-hmm. So the couple of things I wanted to straighten out, they didn't call me back. I think they realized what was going on and they were trying to distance themselves from the whole thing at that point. Now, while uh, you... They, sorry, go ahead. Uh, the, yeah, there were, there were several members of the church who called me up and about half of them were reading Bible verses to show that I'd done a horrible thing. Uh, a couple of them were rational. I got I got a n- number of emails from people who identified themselves and said, I think you missed it. There are a whole bunch of people that have benefited greatly from belonging there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just yesterday, I got a three-page, single-space typed rant from someone who didn't sign his name, talking mm. about trying to discredit everybody I interviewed. They, you know, they'd name them and go through all these things they allegedly done and why they shouldn't be believed. Uh, I think it's telling that it was unsigned. Uh, so it was, uh, but surprisingly, I'd say 95% of the people who contacted me after the stories came out were, were positive, saying, I'm glad you did it. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Or in many cases, I'm a former member. I read everything you wrote. You were right on target. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. If you do a follow-up, here's my name, here's my number. Please call me. I can confirm everything these people are saying. I got probably as many calls like that. I probably got more calls like that than I actually talked to people before the beforehand. And in in, in this whole process, um, what would you like to see being done now that you've uncovered the scandal? Well, my fondest hope would be that the, somehow the members still in the church would read this and come to their senses and say, this guy is not helping us. We need to break out of here. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, uh, I'd also like to see some action taken against him. As a journalist, I can't lobby for any kind of prosecution. Uh, that's just not my job. We're not an arm of law enforcement. But um, as I think Shane McCabe told you that he had filed charges with the Cuyahoga Falls Police, um, and that's where it has to originate. The prosecutor said she's not going to initiate this stuff. It has to start with the victims, who in many cases are still well within the statute of limitations. Um, the but they also is, said that, you know what, uh, everyone's taking their time and dragging their heels. Um, I wonder why. You mean in terms of law enforcement? Yeah. Well, I think the, as Shane said, the Cargo Falls detective said that he was going to investigate this. So I think it's a question of many of the members are still reluctant to take that extra step because they still, way back in the back of their heads, fear this guy. Um, some of the people were very forthcoming in the stories and had even had their photos in there, said, you know, I'm just still afraid of this guy. Has he ever had any police charges pressed against him before or a police record? No, although he was arrested in Germany in 1984, I believe, for uh, practicing medicine without a license. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but he bounced back. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, uh, they arrested him. He was in jail overnight. And the next day, Munich had the the worst hailstorm in the history of the city, and he took full credit for it. <laughs> wow. So, um, other than that, no, nobody's brought charges locally. Um, I, I, I would be surprised if the Department of Labor 
is not poking around, given some of the things that people said on the record in the series. But the problem with me finding out whether or not there's an investigation is they're not going to tell me. Um, they there've been times when I've called up, for example, the Ohio Attorney General. I said, "Can you confirm that you're investigating this?" And they'd say, "Not only can we not confirm that, we can't tell you that we're not investigating." So these, you know, they they unless somebody comes to me and says, "I talked to the Labor Department or I talked to the IRS," I have no way of knowing whether, you know, there could be a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that I'm not aware of. Which I hope is the case. I mean, some of these things are just blatant: uh, refusing to pay minimum wage and working people sixty hours a week and paying them for forty. Is this story, is this scandal picking up steam? Uh, I think it may have peaked. Honestly, uh, you know how the news works. It's something's big. I mean, this was huge for for a week or so. Uh, I. I for it to peak of, again, what would need to happen? I, I give you a lot of credit for, for helping to keep it alive. I think what needs to happen is that uh, somebody has to, some law enforcement agency has to um, pursue it and, and make it known that they're pursuing it, or the IRS or the Labor Department's got to come to some finding, which, would, which wouldn't happen anytime soon, I'm pretty sure. Or somebody within the church... There's a former pastor that I tried desperately to get to speak, and he just wouldn't. He's he's He now works for a school, and he's deathly afraid that if he were attached to this thing, it's in another state, so it's... So what's uh, his concern? Near here. He's worried that it'll come back to him and he'll get fired, even though nothing that happened was his fault. But they, he, he's afraid his employer would be horrified at all this stuff and would not want to distance himself. Um, so uh, short of one of the people directly involved coming out and saying, yes, here's what happened, you know, by n- coming out by name and saying I was directly involved in something he did. And, uh, you know, there has to be some other gigantic revelation or some sort of investigation that came to light, I think, to get it back up to the speed it was at. I mean, it, it was at one point it it reached number two on the trending topics on Facebook. So it was getting a lot of national attention. Uh, USA Today did a story, interviewed me. Washington Post did their own version of it. The Associated Press put out uh, a, a condensed version of it that was picked up many, many You say places. Washington Post did their own version. What do you mean? They sort of summarized. They didn't interview me. They summarized my findings and did a little additional reporting and wrote a story about it, crediting us. I mean, they fully credited the Beacon Journal and put a link to my series. Uh, but they, you know, they didn't interview. Unlike USA Today, they did not interview me. Um, I guess they didn't feel they needed to. They just wanted to get the story out. But it was, they didn't just pick up the wire story. They did their own version. What do you think he's thinking? What do you think Ernest is thinking at the moment? That's an interesting question. Um, I think he's hoping it all blow over. He might be right. Um, I think he. As you said before, maybe he's looking at this as this is great because now we can paint it as all these outside, these devil, devil-possessed devil people all around us are trying to bring us down and we got to hang together and we got to fight the good fight and rid, rid ourselves of the devil and we can do it and you follow me and, you know, you do whatever I say and we'll get through this. I think. Yeah, I think because this would work in his favor if nothing's done. Right, right. Because he's going to look exactly like you're saying it. it it's... Yep. He's once again defeated the enemy or Satan, right? Or yeah, Bob or both. <laughs> if we're yeah, if we're not if we're not members of the church, we're Satan pretty much. But now, where does he get his money from to run his organization? 
Well, it's a lot of it's donors. I mean, they he still has a national television show where if you send in, you know, you send in your twenty five bucks, he'll heal you by mail, I guess. But he goes Um, to Africa a lot. Yeah, they. I'm sure they do. They make a lot of money doing that. They sell. Has this story reached Africa? I don't think so. Although I I know it reached Britain. I saw a story in a British publication. Uh, I I don't have any idea or concept of whether it has gotten there. That'd be fun um, if it went to Africa, see what happens. Yes, it would be. Um, but he's, I mean, he, there's a number of sources. He, he has, uh, some of the people in that church, believe it or not, are very well healed. I think he, he courts those kinds of folks. And uh, as the one story that you heard, I think the, the woman said her father went to see one of his, his uh, services in Alabama and was so taken that he sold his business, sold his house, Gave Ernest a million bucks and moved up to Akron to follow him. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of that going, not a lot of that going on, but a significant amount. You went in when you did his interview, to a certain extent, not knowing what to expect. You knew what the agenda was, mm-hmm. but you really didn't know what to expect. And at that point in time, <laughs> is there something about him that is magnetic? I didn't see that. I sort of expected that. I uh, and, not again, in a broke back kind of way, just generally. <laughs> <laughs> No, I no, <laughs> no, in, in any kind of way. I mean, I, I sort of thought that he might have some kind of aura, but on the other hand, I think for someone to I sell their time, business, uproot themselves. The well, very fact you have a business means you have some level of intellect. Yeah, but if you're if you're struggling in your personal life and you go to this service where he's very dramatic and he's you know saying the only way you're going to save yourself is to follow me and all these thousands of people around you are going, oh, yes, you're right, you're right, let's do it. I think that's a very different situation than me walking in there knowing what these people had told me and being, frankly, being a little bit angry at the guy. I mean, I I don't think I opened myself up to to judge necessarily whether he seemed to have any kind of personal magnetism. I was was not real happy with the guy, frankly. I mean, I was going to give him a chance, but I I wasn't going in there with, you know, as, as a fan. Um, yeah, but then at the same time, if you're not knowing what to expect, to a certain extent, you're leaving yourself open to hearing his side of the story. But oh, was absolutely. there any part of him that would sort of make you feel that the stories you'd heard on the other side didn't have as much credibility when you walked in? You know, because sometimes you're so charming and and and, and so yeah. warm, you can feel the love or whatever. Yeah, I did not get that sense whatsoever, and I, and I would, I, I, I honestly did leave myself open to that possibility. Mm. That these, for somehow these people all gotten together and this guy was misunderstood and he was really you know doing what he thought was right but i did not get any of that i got what i thought was him scrambling to explain some of this stuff and and blanket denials and a refusal to talk about specific cases how would you like so, to see justice served to ernest uh, interesting question i i, I enjoyed your conversation with your guests in the previous things about forgiveness um i'm not i don't know i you know the guy's 93 um but i that to me that doesn't excuse some of the stuff that he allegedly did i'm i i think i would like to see i'd like to see the church collapse unfortunately i don't think it's going to mm. and i think the associate pastor is perfectly positioned to take over Eventually, and he uh, follows in his footsteps. Well, yeah, I mean, he's the guy. The guy, that guy, is 
is does have some personal magnetism, and he's a good-looking guy and well-spoken, and I mm-hmm. think he could pretty easily segue into this. Uh, although, if you listen to Ernest, it's we're not long. None of us are long for this world. <laughs> hmm. Well, if he was here, he'd probably say none of us are long for the show because we've almost come to the end. <laughs> but, but Bob, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Um, uh, the easiest way, actually, is just Google my name, Bob Dyer, D-Y-E-R, and I'll pop up at the top of the list. If you click on the, the first listing, it'll take you to my page, which has uh, bio, biographical stuff. Well, all the contact information, I guess, is the main point. It's got my email and my phone. Uh, our website's ohio.com, but if you want to get to me directly, like I say, the easiest way is just Google my name. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you for taking the courage and leading the story, my friend. Thanks for keeping it alive, Vip. I appreciate it. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswal and my Facebook page. And, of course, thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Please do visit foxnewsradio.com. And now, for my complete library of shows that cover a variety of topics, I'm also available on iTunes. You'll be spoiled for choice at what I have to offer. Think of it as a candy shop for your ears. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.